Hey there, welcome back to another episode of MVP Business, where we showcase leaders who live through their mission, vision, and passion to drive growth, profits, and loyalty. Today's guests are super special to me. They're Miguel Garcia and Merlin Albert. Miguel is a second generation owner operator of Julio's Corn Chips, Salsas, and Sauces with passion, dedication, and a lot of hard work. Miguel, Merlin, and the whole Julio's family, like really the whole family, have taken this recipe from a convenience store in Del Rio from the convenience store nachos and garage chips to a national sensation. So we're going to hear that whole passionate story today. Thank you guys so much for joining me. You're welcome. Thank you. We're going to start. Absolutely. I've been talking to Merlin about this for a long time. Um, The story of Julio's is absolutely phenomenal. And I don't think, you know, it's on your website, but who reads the stories on websites anymore? So tell me about your dad, uh, Julio, and how this all got started. Right. Yeah. My dad was uh, born in uh, Crystal City in 1930. Um, I like to tell this story when I kind of remember it. Um, He was uh, born in Crystal City during the Depression days, right? Depression. And um, so my grandfather lost his ranch, everything. They moved back to Mexico. They moved to Mexico. Um, My dad grew up in Mexico. Uh, He was there. trying to make, you know, what he could do. Uh, he would uh, grow, as a, as a teenager, he started growing tomatoes and onions and to sell to the neighborhood so he can buy, you know, meats, foods. Um, as he was, uh, he got a job delivering ice and uh, that's where he, you know, businesses. And he asked his mom, who, who are those those cowboys with those big ha- cowboy hats? Where do they come from? She, he was like, she 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 realized they come from the Los Americas, Los Americas. Uh, my dad, being a teenager, he was really interested in in all those people. Well, um, my my grandma told my dad, son, you can you can go to to across the border. You can go whether you were born in the United States. My dad didn't even know. As a teenager, that he he was able to cross. Yeah. Once he did that, he he ran over here. He moved all his he moved his parents back to Del Rio. Uh, when he realized that the uh, as he started uh, working in Del Rio, uh, he went to the to the uh, migrant workers, you know, the fields and stuff for a while. He came back to Del Rio and ended up getting a job. Uh, at a uh, restaurant, washing dishes, uh, learning how to cook, you know. Uh, the owner of the restaurant taught him how to bake pies and stuff like that. Uh, he ended up getting a job at the Friday Night Iron Steakhouse and eventually graduated to uh, Friday Night Iron Steakhouse where he had an inside uh, barbecue pit. And that um, uh, loved to to sing and to dance. So one day, uh, one day he just was having a, 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 a terrible day. Uh, 
the owner of the restaurant has this piano where you can, he was playing the piano to the customers as they walk in. And we had our, it, this restaurant had an inside grill. I don't know if you can imagine that, but it's an inside grill. And um, one day he just started banging on the, on the grill with his the tongue spatula he, and stuff yeah the spatulas and stuff and he started dancing he started playing the the, the grill um he started getting known that's how he, my dad started getting popular in del rio well of course he put the seasoning on the steaks and the lobsters everything that they he cooked there um as they, after a while he left the restaurant he went to another restaurant where it was uh they had mexican food uh, of course, they had steaks. And in that Mexican restaurant, my dad made the chips and he would put the seasoning on the chips. He made a salsa for those chips. And when they ordered a, a, a Mexican plate, a meal, he would give them some chips and salsa for the appetizer. You know how they do that in all the restaurants. And that's how they started. People got introduced to the chips. When once that restaurant closed down, my dad stayed without no work. He ended up working at this convenience store in Del Rio. And um, he was working the graveyard shift. And there, that's where he, real, he he noticed that they're selling these nachos. And that's when he asked the manager and said, hey, is there any way I can bring my chips and sell some here with a cheese and like nachos? He goes, his manager said, yeah, just bring them, Julio. Go. My dad started taking the, the chips in boxes like this. I don't know if you can see them. He started taking the chips in this type oh, yeah. of packaging. That was my dad's packaging. That's how he packaged the chips. Like in a flat, yeah. Uh, so and then he would sell the nachos in the store. He would sell the, the nachos in the store. They got pretty popular and people really liked them. And he started, um, having a hard time keeping up with it because he was working graveyard so at seven when he would get off he would go buy the tortillas and stuff that he needed 7 a.m 7 a.m <laughs> went in at 12 midnight got off at seven went to the hgb bought whatever he needed went home got the fryer started cut up the tortillas did as much as he could yeah oh by the way that's the original fryer Oh, that's that so cool. Be in the you still have that. Nice. Well seasoned. That's what started Julio's in a garage. Wow. That's that the original so cool. pot that, that they, my dad used <laughs> to fry up the chips. I can't believe you still have that. So there at that, that convenience store. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Actually, I think we're on 30, 35 years now. Yeah. That's, that's amazing. You know, I was just thinking, um, the, the founder of Torchy Tacos talks about how he would take, uh, when he first started, you know, he had a little truck and he would take his, his, um, tacos on his Vespa and just like give them to absolutely everybody that he could. Cause he knew that once they tried it, they would love it. And, um, my, and we I have that same motto about that. Yeah. And they said like, what's your Vespa story? Meaning what's, you know, you, you worked so hard because you believed in your product and, and what you were giving. And so your dad was there, you know, working to, you know, feed the family and keep up the house. And he knew that he had a product that he really liked that other people really enjoyed. So he got up in the morning 
And um, the story that that I heard is he would he would pretty much work all day long making these chips, and then he would take a nap and then right. go back to the convenience store, and uh, right. and work yeah. and sell them all night long until that became too yeah. much. So then, um, the the next step then was what after the convenience store. Well, they actually had people that knew them and would come to their house to get a tray of chips, just like they'd get a tray of chips like this. Because uh, Miguel would go, Miguel would go to the HEB and get all the beer and soda cartons because this was what the six packs come in. Uh-huh. And he would get them all so they would have something and they would wrap the butcher, lay the butcher paper, put the chips inside. They would fold it over and seal it. And so they would get this and a tub of salsa at their house and walk up on Saturday mornings or if they were going to the tailgate party on Friday nights and they'd grab chips, they'd be lined up. And, and people that I've met that are best friends with the family tell me on the side, oh, you don't understand. There would be 10, 15 cars, 20 people deep waiting <laughs> in line to get their chips and their tub of salsa to go to the wedding or the football game or the or the party and uh, yeah and so then the next the next step was they grew out of their garage and they built uh, a restaurant and a and a uh, production plant where we're sitting today mm. five thousand five thousand square feet uh, about a about a, a 500 pound line chip line 500 pounds an hour uh, 500 pounds of chip wow. per hour and uh 2003 2000 2003 and um we ran that day and night 24 hours a day uh seven days a week for i don't know how many years we did that 17 years 17 years and uh just recently we were able to build a new building 33,000 square feet and we bought a, a bigger line a 1500 pound line per hour i can make a 1500 pounds of chips per hour um, Actually, he's had it up to seventeen hundred pounds an hour. Yeah, <laughs> and it's only a fifteen hundred pound machine. So <laughs> it's pretty. It's pretty pretty cool. So it it's been what a thirty five year uh, making chips. Yeah, process. Then it it all began. Well, with that have you been? Is it been just a part of your life? The whole your your whole. You've just always been in the chip making business. It, all my life. Yeah, it was always, my dad was always in the restaurant business. My mom was always in the restaurant business. And um, it was part of our our life. You know, DNA. Yeah, and then the chips. And I mean, even when I went to school, when I went to school, uh, even after you would take a shower and put on your cologne or whatever, and you go to school and you sit in, around the, the other students and they'll, they'll, they'll tell you, hey, what did you have for breakfast, man? You smell so good. You smell like corn? <laughs> well, because of the seasoning, it was all penetrated the whole house. You know, we were, making, we were making the chips in our house. At first. At first. We yeah. were making them in our kitchen. Yeah. So all the, and then his mom kicked them out. Mom got tired because <laughs> my dad, such, he liked to sing and dance and do all. And he was kind of annoying a little bit. My mom said, yeah, sacalo de aquí. You know, take them out of here and go fix, go fix up the garage, Mio. Go fix up the garage. And I said, okay, mom. And so I, that's when I started fixing the garage for him. 
and and and, and fixed it up for him and that's what we did our our selling from you know they didn't have to bother my mom anymore so and then they moved out here in uh 2000 2003 opened this and then we uh we christened the new plant in february of february march of this year and uh two weeks after we opened up there has to be some divine intervention in this conversation two weeks after we opened up the new line corona hit yeah and uh in our our business our business on chips basically doubled overnight and it was had, had we been in the old line the old chip line there was zero chance that we would have kept up with that right. zero chance so there's so many things that i want to talk about um first for those who aren't watching the video uh, and, and are listening uh, to the audio version and not seeing the, what's behind Miguel and Merlin, it's the, um, it's the wall in, in the restaurant and it says Julio's corn tortilla chips. Um, and you can see the cactus and the, the bright yellow and the, the colors. Um, tell us why Miguel, that yellow and the diamonds are so important to you. When I fixed up the garage for, for dad, and, and um, I told dad, uh, dad, uh, we need a, we need a painting, dad, we need a painting. Uh, do you have money? Do we have money to buy paint? Um, he goes, yeah, I just, yeah, go ahead, go paint it. I said, okay, so I'm gonna paint it yellow. My dad was like, why yellow, why yellow? Like, well, I wanna attract people, you know, so when they try, but we're in a neighborhood. We're in a, in a, a neighborhood. We weren't in a business location. We were between West Second and West Third, kind of hiding back there. So people would drive by, and I wanted them to look at the building, you know, at the yellow. So I kind of figured oh, I'll paint yellow. So I started uh, painting it yellow, and then when I finished painting it, it still looked like it needed more color. So I said, "Well, I'll paint something green." What's green? Cactus. So I drew an actual cactus by hand. I didn't call somebody to come do it. You know, I drew my old cactus there, you know. He didn't have Vine Collective at that time. I didn't, I didn't know you guys. <laughs> you know, I had to use my own vines. So um, I did it on my own, just freehand. Freehand, and then I painted it. I didn't care. It was just, you know, I wasn't looking for perfection. You know, I just wanted to, so when I did the Julio, so I just knew, I know a little bit of calligraphy. So I kind of like drew the Julio, the J by hand. I bought one of those foamy brushes that are foam, got some black paint and just did the, the painting by hand. And, you know, however it came, I came out, I was doing it for color. You know, I got the yellow, I got the green. Then I said, I need red, I need some red. So uh, that the roof on the on that building, it was metal. So I asked dad, hey dad, you know, can I buy some red paint? He goes, go ahead. I go, it doesn't matter as long as you just paint the front because really you're not gonna see the back. You know, I didn't wanna spend all his money. So I went ahead and was able to paint the whole roof uh, red. So now you started getting the the red and and the, the green and the yellow and the blacks and the and we, we just we just painted it that that color for for color and we've kept that base of our identity yeah. ever since it became an emblem and the diamonds came on later 
you know, because when we did the, our first bag, and you look at the bag, you go, man, something's kind of missing here. So we ended up putting these diamonds on top, the red and, and Okay, green. so to clarify, his first bag was a clear poly bag, ripped off the top, had a Ziploc, and had a yellow label mm-hmm. with black writing. So we put red and green green diamonds on the yellow label. It wasn't like the bag you see now. We started with a clear plastic bag with, mm-hmm. with a yellow label on just and sometimes the beauty of it was the vast majority of labels, some would lent this authenticity like the yellow and dad. When my dad first started, they were made at home. Yeah. My dad got the white piece of paper and when he started selling the seasoning at the, at the meat markets when he started selling the seasoning at his at the meat markets here locally in Del Rio, he would actually get a white piece of paper and just write all the ingredients on that white piece of paper wow. cut it out and then the container he used for the seasoning was actually a sandwich uh, container back in the day Tupperware used to sell these plastic heavy-duty containers for a sandwich and we put the seasoning in there, and then he would get glue, just Elmer's glue, and put it on the back and of the tape paper. the label on it. And he would glue the label Every single to, the, one. to the container. One by one. You know, back then he was selling like, he wasn't selling like a whole bunch of them, but that was his way of doing it. Until uh, one of our city officials <laughs> told him, hey, Julio, you know, you I'm not telling you not to sell. I'm not telling you what, how, what that you can't sell. I'm just telling you, you need a different kind of container because uh, there's no safety seals. There's nothing, you know. So that's when he asked me to look for for the container. And the for, container we're still in today. For the seasoning that we're in, we're in in today. Yeah. There were a lot of people along the way that helped it out. You know, helping him find a container here or there, helping them know. live the dream. I didn't know. even know what that container, what that for the what it was called. You know, I, I, I didn't even know until I called another company that sold the season and I asked them, hey, I need some of these containers. And she said, okay, well, yeah, we can sell them to you. Well, what are these called? And said, well, they're just eight ounce containers, 16 ounce containers and so on, so on. So that's how I kind of was able to get containers for us. So I bought them from another seasoning company, you know, so. And you had one line of chips with a couple of different sizes and then the seasoning for years and years and years. Once you finally got into like more of a production. That yeah, they, had, they had five items. They had a, a, real big, a real big bag of chips, a smaller bag of chips, a mild fresh salsa, a hot fresh salsa, and the eight ounce seasoning Yeah, yeah. for years. And when did you meet this crazy man, Merlin, sitting next to you? And why did you decide to? <laughs> it all started in a bar. <laughs> it all started in a bar on a napkin paper. No, it was actually one of our a retailer, uh, HEB, believed in, in the distribution that we were doing for them. And uh, we, at that time, had, had reached preferred vendor status. Uh, because we would pick up anything for them and distribute it because they were, they, they and Walmart, but uh, yeah. 
they were the two big customers that Julio's had. That, that, and uh, HEB wanted the chips outside of the eight or nine stores that Miguel was distributing to. And so HEB actually put the marriage together between the supplier, manufacturer, and the distributor and said, hey, we'll, we'll all take a little bit less profit to have a better distribution system that can hit all of the HEBs instead of just this special little market that everybody else is enjoying in Southwest Texas. What and year was that? That was uh, 2003. No, it was, it was before, right it was before, before you. It was before. It, I, I, it was before I bought the line. We were already doing business when I, we were in 410. Yes. Our location was on 410, you know, between my second and third. It was 1997, 1998. Yeah. So the demand got so big that I could not distribute. I could not. I was, I would have to buy vans and, you know, hire employees and send them to San Antonio and send them to uh, Austin. And I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't afford that. I, I couldn't do that. So that's when we were, Merlin and I were introduced through one of the stores and he did all the distributing for me. I Albert, and, and so what, it, what, what we did, what I did different than any other distributor would have, instead of saying, Hey, I want the whole pie. I, I told to, to put his mind at ease. I said, I don't want any of the stores that you are currently distributing yourself with your people. Yeah. Let me do whatever you can't handle. If you can handle it all, handle it all. But if you can only get to the, the western side of San Antonio, let me take everything else. Because you're not selling there now. And he said, let's try. Mm -hmm. And that started the history. Yeah, I mean, we call ourselves brothers from different mothers because we were both raised in me in the distribution business, him in the manufacturing business. And uh, we were child prodigies of our fathers yeah. and uh, most important uh, people in our lives. Not our moms were, too. Yeah. But we basically lived it with each other's dads, his in manufacturing and mine in distribution. And mm -hmm. so there's divine intervention in that relationship, too, that brought it together. Right. It's a blessing. It was. It was. It really was. That, that we got to meet each other because we're getting along so well and everything's working so great. And he, he's done a lot for the company. And so I distributed Miguel up until uh, 2006, 2007, when I sold my distribution business and, and tried to retire for about four and a half months and realized I'm not, I have to do retire, something guys. or I'll explode. And uh, as you well know, and and so uh, Miguel and I were talking and he, hey, I don't trust those guys to push my product like you did. And uh, so then I started contract working for him and, and the rest is history. So then you came into more of a, a sales contract partnership kind of role. Um, was it that same year or before? It was before then that you you guys decided to start expanding the salsa line um, into different flavors. Was that just uh, Merlin because you like those flavors? <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> no, there were. So I had been in the distribution business my entire life. And uh, before that, I mean, in that I, I spent uh, about a decade with one of the biggest snack suppliers on the planet. And there were so many different flavors and stuff that I would come across 
in all the different markets that I that I visited and in my distributorship that I would see the different flavor versions in the Valley versus uh, Austin, Central Texas and Dallas and, and learning that even the single biggest snack supplier on the planet didn't sell the same exact product line across every market. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I found that in, in Corpus Christi, a tortilla chip sold the most. In San Antonio, a corn chip and tortilla chip sold the most. In Dallas, a potato chip sold the most. So learning all of those and stuff, and I saw all the different flavors and what sold, I had flavors on my mind and Miguel had, uh, he has more in his head about different recipes than we could ever taste test, much less execute. Mm-hmm. And so we just picked on some of the things that we felt were very functional to, um, to what we were already doing, but most importantly expanded upon the authenticity of the Julio's brand and the connection with Mexican flavors and culinary flavors. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so some of them, there's a couple of them that came to us, but almost everything you see, we've, we've, we've come up with. Right. So Miguel, tell me, um, you know, it sounds, when you just tell the story, it sounds so organic and natural and like it was just this next step. And then I, you know, then we did the manufacturing and then we painted the, the garage, you know, like all these, these steps, but, um, you have this, you know, fairly simple, but delicious, addicting product, um, addictive, I should say. It's so yummy. Um, was it scary for you or has it been scary for you to grow and change and create all these new and different products that weren't necessarily what came out of your, your mom and dad's kitchen so many years ago? Well, at, at the beginning, it is. It is. You know, because it's something, something different. It was hard for me to, you know, go with Merlin, you know, because I wanted to do it myself, you know. But once we got to know each other and we started with every time, you know, starting to um, uh, get balanced, you know, um, the flavors, um, it's just something that I like. And I introduced it to him and he tried it. He liked, he introduced it to the stores. The stores liked it and it took off, you know, mm-hmm. basically that's, that's the way we've been doing it, you know. And, and we've had a miss here or there, but they're far and few in between mm-hmm. when we put it out there that it doesn't work right. and doesn't stay or have staying power. So let's talk about that a little bit, because um, I know a, a lot of, I mean, there's so many people just aren't aware of all the, the you know similar stories of people who have their own recipe. They're trying so hard and they get it into a store and it does well. And they go, oh, okay, here's another flavor. And then it doesn't, you know, one of them doesn't fly. One, one you know, takes off and the other one doesn't. Um, what, what's your advice or recommendation on how, how to go about that? When we, when we first started selling the chips uh, before I knew, before I got introduced to Merlin, uh, when we would go to the stores, when I first got started, uh, uh, I would, would just say, like for, for instance, with the seasoning, I would do demos. Mm-hmm. You know, I do demos. I, I, I may ask my mom to make me a, 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 a brisket, you know, with season, with Julio seasoning. So I took that roaster and I took it to the store and I got some flour tortillas and I started making little taquitos and I gave them to the customers so they could taste the seasoning. 
And I did that a lot. I did that a lot for a long time, for many years. And that helped get the product known. And mm -hmm. we did the same thing with the chips and the salsa. We, we did demos in all the grocery stores here locally and out of town as well. And that really, really, really helps sell the product and get the people to know it. And of course you talk to the customer and then you tell them the stories how you got started and, and people like that. And, and you know, it, it's, it, that's how we did it. That's how we did it. Stephanie, not to, uh, not that I've ever been known to digress, but I'm, I wanna share a couple of points that kind of get lost in the story. Mm -hmm. While our dads uh, were the stabilizing forces and teaching us business and stuff, Every time we talk about a flavor or a recipe, he refers to my mom, my mom, my mom. So if you ask me from being involved in the company as long as I have, his dad was the driving force and his mother was the culinary skills that were passed on to him. And uh, every time, oh, my mom used to do this and my mom would say this and my mom on the food side and then on the business side and making it and selling it. And, and that is always the dad. And it's just that, that marriage, man, woman, good cop, bad cop, you know, that rounded him into. As that, as, as the growing up, as growing up with my mom's at the house, that was her, uh, she said, she'll make some rice and she'll say, mijo here, taste it. And I <laughs> he was the it. guinea pig. And she says, <laughs> I just say, does it need anything else? Does it need whatever, you know, tomatoes, also what I thought, no, mom, it's good. And when she made a pot of borracho beans and she would say, mijo, come here, taste it. And I, I would taste it and she'd say, does it need more, you know, no, no. Garlic. Mom, it's great, it's great. And and basically I knew a lot of my uh, flavors from that, mm -hmm. you know, because you, you start building a palate of flavors. The other point that I was wanting to make by starting that was uh, Julio and Liliana were so Lily, Lily, Lilia, as we they they were so it, what's called la familia, it's the family. So Miguel grew up in a in a small house like my family of eight did, and um, Julio's. Uh, nephews and nieces were in Acuna and found themselves basically homeless. Right. And he went over, brought them over to the U.S. side and adopted them. And they all lived in the same house. And that was 10 kids, yeah. 10 kids, Miguel and his bro three brothers and sisters and six others in the same small house and Miguel would talk about hey a, a really good a really good week at the house was when I got a turn to sleep on the bed <laughs> and that, but that is what family does so Lilia worked at the school for 40 40 something years. 40 something years the cafeteria, cafeteria Julio Julio would hold two or three jobs and making chips and whatever to put food on the table and a roof over the head of the family Right. Mm -hmm. And that is a part of the rags to riches story that sometimes doesn't get told. But in this day and time, it's what people need to hear, that mm -hmm. it was never about him. 
or her. It was about their kids and their adopted kids. That 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 and mom did a lot of the sacrifice. You know, we just kept it going. If it was mom and dad were the ones that did all the, the hard work, you know. Yeah. And I want to just take that moment too to um, to say, you know, when you think about sacrifice and hard work, uh, you think about struggle and you think about, you know, all the, all the people and the kids in the house. But then before this call started, you showed me a picture of your dad dancing in the kitchen with a doll. And like you said, you know, at the restaurant, he was the one banging the, the, the pots and pans. You want to see it? Yeah, please. <laughs> Look at that smile. I mean, that's, that's, that's a happy, happy man. So I, I want to bring that up as well uh, to the point of, uh, you know, as, as we're struggling through our life and our business, there's so much opportunity to find that joy and happiness. If you just let that come through, as opposed to focusing on, oh my gosh, I have three jobs and I've got to support all these people and whatever it may be, it's, you know, the thing that you put your focus on. And if you're finding joy in that work, or if you realize the fulfillment of what you're able to do with it and, and, you know, you look at, you know, yes, I work three jobs, but look at what I'm doing with it. Look at all these people I'm feeding and let's go ahead and have fun anyway, or because. Because of my dad, that picture you saw, I think if my dad hadn't changed to that, I think he would have probably ended up quitting the restaurant, you know, and it, he made that uh, fun. And he, he, he said, I don't care. I'm going to do it. He started playing the great, the grill pots and pans, singing at Rancho Grande. I mean, I mean, entertaining the people, uh, people loved it. People, the restaurant was always full of customers. He just changed himself, mm -hmm. you know, and he loved what he was doing, and people loved him, and it's it just, it, it just totally changed, changed everything. He, he was the Benihana of Del Rio. <laughs> yeah, there, there were back in the day, there were they, we had the Alamo, you know, the Alamo in the Brackenville. Yes, and there were a bunch of movie stars that would come and eat at that restaurant, and and they they loved it, and he got to meet a lot of. A lot of Famous actors, people, yeah. yeah, right. And I never, I only got to get one picture from one of the actors, and I have it hanging here in the restaurant. I don't know if you want to get it or show it to them, but and it's right there by the wrestler. You can just pull it out. That one over there, the one with the two down, down, down. That one. You can just pull it out. Yeah, a whole bunch of red, a uh, whole bunch of actors would come and eat there at the Brandon Iron Steakhouse. They loved it, you know, because he would dance and with a rat with a doll. Um, <laughs> and my mom was a little bit jealous because uh, my mom worked there. Let me see. Let me wipe it down. Okay, here. A little smearing. I think it was uh, the guy from uh, Starsky and Hutch. I think not David Glass. Oh yeah. David Hi, ah, he's silly. Have fun. And if you go down, and that was him. That's that my was... dad working the grill already. As you can see, he's has the tongues. People he's behind him and he's singing. And that's my mom. Oh, what a wonderful picture. So my my dad would do the steaks and my mom would prepare the uh the plates. Uh-huh. 
Yeah, so it was a teamwork between them. It was a teamwork. teamwork. And they did that for I don't know how many years. A lot of years. I think I was 15, 16 when I started working there at that steakhouse. I was uh, cleaning the tables. Bus boy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was it was uh, an experience. That's that when I started liking the restaurant business. That's when I adapted to that. And of course, mom and dad cooked all their lives, so we had a good palate, a good flavor. So mm-hmm. it was it was gonna be obvious that we were gonna end up owning some type of restaurant. So you have you come so far, you, you're, you know, dad out of the kitchen, then the garage, then the small manufacturing plant, then you built this big manufacturing plant with a deal with Walmart nationally. And um, did you land the national Walmart deal before you built the new um plant or before you decided to build the new plant or did you build the new plant in hopes that you would get a national deal we were already working on the new plant we were already making plans for the new plant but we needed we needed it we needed it no no questions asked we were just trying to find out that let's do it you know and uh we were working the machine here seven days a week 24 hours a day we're having a hard time keeping up with with the with the, the demand the demand the orders so we knew we needed a bigger a bigger machine and mm-hmm. by bigger machine i would need a, a, another building because you know it's a huge machine so we were able to do all that and then we got the the walmart call so we had started the the actual uh building of the plant uh, at the beginning of uh 2019 Miguel started laying the foundation the the dirt work and then then the concrete would come in about uh, July of, of 2019 Walmart came on in September the, the building was already up uh, in September October of 2019 Walmart came on uh, September 15th 2019 uh, and we were able to some of our manufacturing friends were able to duplicate our uh, recipe uh, to Miguel's, as close to Miguel's standards as, as you can get, because let's face it, even when we make them here, he doesn't always agree with them, okay? So, and that's the part we love about him. He does not waver on what he tastes to be good or what he tastes to be not Julio's. And so they helped us uh, until we got the line uh, up and running uh, in February, early March. Um, and there's still a couple of manufacturers that help us from time to time, but the vast majority of what is produced and shipped into the stores for Walmart comes out here. Anything within six states of Texas is 100% produced in Del Rio, Texas. That is so cool. Yeah. So I know that it's been an exciting, I mean, roller coaster ride of a year um, and two years. First of all, just committing to knowing the big investment of the new manufacturing plant and hoping that 
um, you know, you know what you, you knew what you had in production and what you had in sales and hoping that you could expand on that and, you know, utilizing uh, Merlin's uh, team and uh, Todd Merlin's son. So still keeping it in the family. Todd's around here somewhere. <laughs> I saw him crackling some chips or something or heard him. Um, but, uh, it, and and, and then, like you said, there's all this synchronicity and divine intervention of it, it all just kind of flows into that next step. But there's a lot of fear and pain as, as you move through that, especially, like you said, COVID hit. Hey, Todd. Part of our sales team, Todd. <laughs> What's happening, girl? How you been? I'm good. So Todd is Merlin's son and he's taken over or, well, pretty much taken over the distribution arm, right? Absolutely, yeah. To, um, keep the Julio's uh, chip line going and growing. And so you have the new manufacturing plant and you have additionally, we didn't talk about, you've um, tried new flavors. You tried salted, salted it didn't quite work. You uh, went with a freaking hotline and it's working really well. Um, and we're, we're looking at um, uh, putting out some new flavors. Tell us about those new flavors. Zesty, zesty chili and lime was uh, was a flavor that I think Miguel's always liked. I've I've always loved, and uh, but he always wanted. He's always into the hot. Give me a jalapeno, something jalapeno. So we came up with a jalapeno nacho cheese Yum. that uh, that Miguel almost ate an entire sample bag of this morning, <laughs> and uh, or was it the zesty? It was the uh, jalapeno. The jalapeno. Cheese, cheese, jalapeno. So we will be uh, we'll be rolling those two new flavors uh, January, February of 2021 into retailers. We'll also uh, uh, be rolling our convenience store line that stores have been asking us for for probably 15 years or better. And uh, so we'll have convenience store size line of Julio's uh, in four different flavors. And so we're excited about it. So from an outside perspective, it sounds like everything's just clicking right in place. But um, as we know, it doesn't always work exactly like the outside perspective. So tell me about what what was happening in the first half of the year. We're in December right now, um, 2020, and you're um, you're getting the manufacturing plant going. You're figuring out your distribution um, you had, uh, you had some challenges and I, I love the way that, that you handled it. And we talked about it, Todd, we all kind of sat down and talked about what are we going to do with, you know, we're using these other manufacturing partners and sometimes the quality of the chip is not up to par and we want to make sure that our customers are happy. So you did a phenomenal thing that I think, um, I think a lot of companies can, uh, can learn from, which is, to, to say, not to say, um, not to ignore the problem, but to say, hey, that doesn't meet our standards. That doesn't meet what you can expect from us. Please be patient and, and help, you know, walk through this, this trial time with us. Here's a whole, you know, a whole thing of, um, uh, of samples. And it's not that you want to, you know, invite people to say, I have problems, but, um, but saying like, hey, Going back to your roots, the familia, like we're here to provide you with that family experience and a good product. 
Um, so the, the majority of our listeners are business owners and entrepreneurs that, um, that fall into those struggles from time to time as well. And so if you could talk to me about that thought process of, you know, uh, Merlin, you even had direct conversations with people from time to time. Well, every single, um, and here's the beauty about what Miguel's passion, commitment, and his compassion at times to his customers um, was even more than what I held my standards to a level that most other uh, uh, distributors or, or business owners would have done. My customers were number one. And the quickest way to get fired from my company was not take care of my customer. And when I started really working with Miguel, he took what I thought was a standard and he was two levels above that. Here's what I mean. Every single complaint, it doesn't matter if it comes from New York, Washington, San Diego, Miami, he gets a copy of and he reads. And then the, the text messages from hell start. What the heck is going on? And he takes that one person and makes sure that if they had bought a bag of chips, that they're going to get three or four and an assortment of the seasoning and a jar salsa and everything to make that right. And I just looked at it and went, wow, I don't even do that. Mm -hmm. And so the commitment to quality, it's very easy for us to say, if, if it's not right, we'll make it right. Because we go beyond what anybody I had ever seen in the market do. Usually if you have a complaint, they'll send you some coupons to go buy some more of the product. Or a t-shirt. <laughs> or a t-shirt. No, he sends you that bag and like three or four other things that are costing him 50 or $60. And I'm going, that's too expensive. And it's like, no, that's our customer. Mm -hmm. and, and that is to prove that, that is part of this the is a quality that, that we hold ourselves to. Please know that what you received is not up to our, yeah. our standards. That's so that, awesome. That works. That works from start to finish. So you, you kind of you mentioned, you know, what what are some of the struggles that we've been through in the beginning, and uh, you know, particularly tying to this year. I think it'd be easier to tell you the struggles that we didn't have would be a lot shorter list, right? <laughs> I mean, that that goes hand in hand with anybody that has anything to do with the distribution network, and so um, you know, every marrying up everything that we do from, like you said, our quality assurance side. That goes all the way from not only when the product's produced, but actually once it gets through our distribution network, gets onto the shelf, into our end consumer's hands, ensuring that, you know, one, it tastes right, two, it looks right, and it's not just a bag of crumbs, and three, that, you know, the full presentation is, is all part of the actual taste of the product. And so, um, you know, start to finish on that, I can't, we'd be here all day if I went through all the, all the hiccups and problems that we face on a daily basis, but... Uh, but that's know, why it's called business. Right. Right. I, I'd say, you know, managing, managing our, our co-packing partners and making sure that they produce the product that we need is, is definitely a struggle. The hardest struggle for us has, has been without a doubt on the distribution side, um, ensuring that our product makes it to the market correctly. That's one battle. Another battle is ensuring that your product makes it to the market, period. That it onto gets the onto the shelf. shelf. That, it's, that the customer can see it so that they can then buy it and that you're not just selling from a shelf tag and you've got nothing behind it. And so that that is probably the most important piece in understanding your product and understanding how that product needs to get to that shelf. 
if it is a fast moving item and, and finding the appropriate channel that that gets that slot filled on top of everything behind it that Miguel and his team put into the actual product and creating it. I think that's where our biggest obstacles have been. And, you know, being ready for an opportunity when it knocks is as important as being able, um, just being ready in business period. Uh, you know, this year with COVID and all the spikes that we've had, um, being able, we've, we've never been in this spot before where we could say, yes, we're ready to go when our customer came to us and said, hey, we've got these tremendous lifts. There's a lot of supply chain issues. You guys are an excellent product. We think you're a great fit. And, you know, can you produce it? Do you have do you have the, the capacity? Can you make us 30 trailers of extra product? And for the first time in the history of Julio's, we said, yeah. And they went, what? Mm -hmm. Are you kidding? We've so, never, ever been in this position where we could buy whatever we wanted on Julio's. And we said, well, we're in that position now. And it was about a month and a half after we'd gotten that, that line going, yep. after we got the new line going, where we had the capacity that we could produce it. Yep. Yeah. It's so, yeah, big, to kind of close on that, biggest, the biggest struggles that we've had this year uh, haven't really been so much on the Q&A side, the, the quality assurance side, but more of the transit portion, uh, stocking, um, not so much on our supply, which for the most part, that's where most uh, packaged products are having an issue is, is being able to produce enough. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I would definitely say those are our biggest struggles and being able to identify how we can find solutions to them because there's no one thing fits all type of deal. Each each problem has its own unique solution and uh, finding one that that fits fits the criteria to get it get that problem solved. I think that's, that's been our biggest, our biggest hurdle this year. Mm -hmm. And you guys are, um, uh, I don't want to say lucky, but uh, that you have this partnership where you own the distribution or, and you have such a, a deep knowledge of distribution, even when you're working with partners so that you can help troubleshoot that. But one thing that I've seen from you as well and from your other partners like Texas Tea and, you know, and, and, and their, their different line is that your, your knowledge that you have to constantly do shelf checks wherever you are in whatever state, whatever town, you have to go in and look and make sure that the product is there. And there, I think yeah, that's a really absolutely. good point. Thank you, Todd, because yeah. um, a lot of new product uh, lines think, well, once, once I get it in distribution, then boom, we're going to, you know, start yeah. selling stuff. Absolutely. We always, we always love to joke around and we say when a retailer gives us a shot, which a lot of the times that can be a very difficult task in itself, but we, we like to joke amongst ourselves and say, that's when the real work begins. Yeah. Because if they you, say yes, exactly. You, you, all they're giving you is literally a real estate spot, a spot that says, this is yours. This is where you can sell from. These, this is how much space that you're going to get. Now it's up to you to keep it full. What are you going to do to keep it full? What is, how are you going to ensure your product success? We're giving you an opportunity. Now, you know, obviously there's give and take. They make money off of how much we sell and, and we make money off of how much we sell as well. But we've got to maximize that spot for them as, as well for us. And so, you know, there's a very, very big balance there. And what do you do to get that product to pull and move through that spot and turn it as many times as you can? And, you know, just, just assuring that your product is in its location can be a feat by itself, much less, you know, the displays and yeah. stuff like that, that you do in brand building to, to get your products to that next level. So, yeah. So that's a really, take care of business. 
Absolutely. So once you get it into that spot, this year has been, like you said, it's been a, you know, blessing and a curse and all sorts of different challenges along yeah. the way. Um, one of the challenges is that for a, for any new product, but especially a food product, people are not going into stores to see the new products. So um, you have all this curbside and, you know, pickup and delivery, uh, as well as um, just the, the concept of, uh, you know, fear and all this other kind of stuff. And you have gone to markets that aren't necessarily asking for your product yet. They don't know anything about it. Or maybe there's one or two people in the town that moved from Texas yeah. <laughs> to that location. So what has been your uh, what have you attributed other than being able to fulfill, um, in yep. distribution, what have you attributed success in those open and new markets to what, what would you suggest, uh, to others to try? Sure. So uh, Go ahead. I'd say there's a couple of things that we've done on our end, uh, to kind of help with that piece. Obviously, you know, Corona's lasting longer than I think anybody really would have anticipated. And, you know, hopefully there's an end in sight. I mean, that's, that's what we're all, we're all hopeful on, and I think many of the people are as well. Um, on our end, what we've done is we've, we've had an online presence. It hasn't been as extensive as we'd like it to be, and we've had to shift some of our efforts towards that. And uh, I'd say we, as, as a whole, we're bigger online than we've probably ever been, as I would assume most brands are at this point. We've also doubled our efforts with our retail partners uh, in the sense of their online storefronts, like you mentioned curbside and pickup and stuff like that. That's all great as well. A lot of retailers, they've, they've started focusing more and more on the digital side, um, you know, through couponing and stuff like that. And, and we try to get our products in those, in those spots to uh, pair it up. So when a customer shopping online, it's, it's, they're, they're simultaneous. You, you can see them together and it's, they can be used together. You don't need to be in store to see the coupon in order to get it kind of thing. And, and you, as a marketing, as you market products, you have to adapt to either surroundings, environmental changes, whatever those changes may be, uh, competitive, whatever. We go into a new market uh, with COVID. One of our deals was like you were talking about the person with the little street tacos and handing them out and because he knew we have said that time and again, if we get our product into somebody's mouth, it's over, it's done. We don't have to promote anymore, but it, with COVID, we cannot sample, live sample in the new markets that we've gotten into, uh, into seven additional states out west, outside of Texas. So we're having to be, you have to be more creative with your marketing efforts. And so if we can't do that, then we look at uh, IRC, instant redeemable coupons, putting that in to stimulate that uh, because we really don't want to go out there and, and do, we're just not known for doing deep discounted Julio's chip because um, that's not who we are. We never have been. We have a quality, great tasting product that is an extremely great value uh, that Miguel has built for 30 something years. And so we have to figure out how to market it differently without just giving it away like a lot of other people would. So to anybody watching this, it would be when times change like COVID, you have to change with those times or you get run over, get left behind, or you're no longer in existence. And so we're looking, we look at, at uh, different ways of marketing Julio's in those new markets 
outside of what our normal mantra would be is maybe run a promotion, get a display, but definitely spend a ton of money sampling the product. Mm -hmm. And the sampling is the single most expensive way of marketing a product. But it's his single favorite way. Uh, it's never been a question of, well, how much is it? He immediately goes to get some samples out there, get the demos out there. And, and he's right. He's right 100% because all they have to do is taste it and it's over. So you might spend a lot of money in that, that store that day, but the residuals from that last years and decades later. Mm -hmm. And I would say the same. You guys have done some like really big, impactful displays. Um, you haven't done a lot of displays over time, but when you have, um, it's been more big, impactful displays. Has that paid yes. off for you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, anytime you can get your product into a second location, you know, in a store, you're going to see great sales from it. But most of the time when we do like a promotion or something, it's to drive trial and the display is just the holding power of that. It also helps bring awareness where a customer could have overlooked it as they go by. Right. And so, yeah, displays are a huge part of, of, of us as a company growing, bringing awareness to the brand. Uh, helping us get into more shopping carts and get pulled through the registers. Uh, it's it, obviously it's, it's a key part for any brand that, that's really trying to grow their business. So. Mm -hmm. And Stephanie, you have to have, you have to have leadership or ownership that can identify, have the common sense and logic um, about their business and how it's, and the thing that I applaud Miguel for is while they started with the most humble of beginnings, He's always been able to identify uh, where we need to go, what we need to do next. And he follows along. He listens to everything. If it doesn't make sense, he pushes back big time. Mm -hmm. And there's times we've, we've locked up. <laughs> like the time I got accused of trying to put crap in a bag and sell it to sell. <laughs> because that is his protectionary device, internal DNA, that says, if it doesn't pass my taste test, it's not going on the shelf. And uh, so we have those disagreements. But he started from the very first route. He started with sampling product to get people to just try it for the first time, all the way to having all of his own routes, then, then transitioning away from his own routes into a different distribution system as times changed. And then he and I working together and him pushing back on certain things for me. And then I push back on certain things. It's not always, it's not always, we kind of look like a duck on water. Looks great up on top, but we're paddling like hell underneath. Mm -hmm. And most business people do that. Mm -hmm. So it's no great secret. You have to have good leadership and you have to have somebody who has the vision to be able to do that or see that's where we need to go and let's go. And so his commitment to quality is first and foremost and a great tasting uh, recipes, whatever it is we come up with. And if it doesn't pass his test, it does. You will never see it on the shelf. And so that's something that he brings to this company that I hope we never, ever lose. There's times we want to go get out of the way. Yeah. <laughs> but no, <laughs> he, he runs it. He runs it. Absolutely. And then the, the fact that you have so many employees that have worked with you guys for so long, 
um, is a huge tribute to that, um, that you are living the familia concept of business and that the, um, the leadership style that you have is, is working, that you have not only a dedication to the quality, but a dedication to the quality of life that um, is you know, necessary to keep people wanting to come back to work. Good job. Well done on a fantastic, amazingly delicious product. And I am, I've known about these flavored chips for too long for them to not be on the shelves yet. I can't wait to eat them again. <laughs> so hopefully the, um, the uh, jalapeno nacho and the chili lime will be... Yeah, let me grab a let me grab a bag so you can kind of get a sneak peek on what we're working on. Awesome. Not not the actual film. We're yeah. we're uh, still working on that with Vine Collective. No, Vine Collective already has it finished. We're just we're waiting to so the sample products. That's the jalapeno nacho cheese. Yeah. And uh, and there will be plenty of seasoning, savory mm -hmm. seasoning. And this is the uh, zesty chili lime which is kind of a little jalapeno spike to it, but uh, outstanding flavor profile. They are so good. I'll tell you what, Miguel, I don't know if you know this story, but the first time I was ever introduced to Julio's chips was in college. I had two female roommates and I walked out of my room and my uh, roommate was sitting on the couch watching movies and she had the biggest bag of chips I've ever seen in my life and she was bear hugging them with a can of black beans just like straight up digging the chips out of a can of black beans I'm like what in the world are you doing and she's like oh my god oh my god you never tried this and I'm like no she's like it's Julio's you've never tried it and I'm like no, but I didn't grow up in Texas. So that's probably why. And um, she's like, well, come here. And I sat down and then I was bear hugging the bag of shits for the rest of the movie. And I was like, why have I never had this before? <laughs> that, happened, that happened, something similar like that happened to us one Christmas day. We, we were at uh, my brother's house and my dad and my mom were all sitting there and, um, uh, my 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 niece invited a friend from uh, an army or one of those soldiers. She invited them to have uh, uh, turkey with us that that Christmas day. It was Christmas or Thanksgiving. I'm sure what it yeah. was. Yeah. And we were sitting there, and we had a whole bunch of chips on the on the uh, table, and Julio's chips. And I had donated I don't know how many pallets of of chips to the military, and they shipped them out to all the, uh, where they were out the stationed. And he, he, he looked at that bag and he goes, man, I, I've eaten those chips over there at wherever he was stationed at, I don't know, Afghanistan or somewhere out yeah, there. Yeah, it's like Iraq, Iraq, way you know, out there. Yeah. And they, they send us a whole bunch of chips and man, those are great. So he starts grabbing some and eating them. And my niece says, I can't remember his name, he says, you, do you like them? He goes, yeah. I said, well, this is Julio right here. This is Julio. <laughs> My dad was sitting there. Said, what? I'm sitting in the Julio family. <laughs> Did not know where he was at. It was. We were like all excited for him.
him, you know, like, what? Yeah, dad and mom. It's like you met Elvis and his family. <laughs> yeah. And we've had, we've had so many stories like this, you know, just from customers from all over. And, yeah. You know, we get posts all the time on Facebook and, and just some of the, some, some really famous people, you know, every now and then you'll get like a George Strait or somebody like that, that chimes in and they're like, Hey, love the chip. You know, I will say I the, probably the funniest one that I saw was uh, actually, I think it was like Kyle Park or somebody that they, they, they chimed in and, and it's probably the only complaint that we ever get outside of, you know, crush product. Cause we have a really thin chip. They chimed in, they go, absolutely love the chip. Best chip ever. Crappiest. <laughs> Cause it, when you open it, a lot of times it'll back oh. down, tear all it'll the way tear down. down the side. So we've worked on the back since then, and yeah. you know, not and not near. We have a not a <laughs> a, a anti tearing bag, right? Yeah. But so I would get hit by retail buyers and going, "You've got to do something about that yeah. ripping bag." That's the number one complaint we get. And I go. What's wrong with y'all? It's a single serve bag. You're exactly. It all. You're not supposed to close it back up. And then we go, oh, that's a good selling point. <laughs> Help move it through, right? Yeah. What do you Help do you with the sell bag? more product? Yeah. It wasn't. It wasn't designed like that. Like a lot of a lot of people have been led to believe. We we designed the bag to rip down the side, so you got to eat the whole thing. No, but it's definitely a perk, right? Stephanie, last, uh, <laughs> last year we had a gentleman that that got our information, contact information, which is readily available, but he actually got the office number and he talks to our office manager, Sandra, and he is just F-bombing every other word about, you know, the bag and tearing and whatever have you. So Sandra gave me the, the number and Mike from Grand Junction, I hope you're watching this. And, uh, so I call Mike back and I got his voicemail and I said, hey, I'm just calling you to to reply to your our epping bag and how it epping tears and, that, and the guy called me back within like a minute and said who i cannot believe i got somebody to call me back i've been trying to get hold of Erdez salsa for six months and they won't and i said well dude if you f-bomb people like that probably not gonna and uh but the whole point was i sent my a care package that miguel would be proud of and we couldn't get him off of Facebook for about six months. Julio's is the greatest and best and best and greatest. Yeah. And we appreciate the customers that do call Absolutely. and tell us what, what's, what's, because that's the only way we're going to know. Good, bad, or indifferent. We want Todd, all feedback. Yeah. Todd and, and Monty and Tony and everybody that's working with us, they'll go out and they'll check the stores as, as often as they can. And they'll come back and give us a report on everything that's going on and how it's selling and everything. But the customers, we need you guys to let us know what's what's going on. You know, we appreciate that. That's awesome. We have quality control standards now that the companies have never seen before. With um, you know, we're we're working to the highest level of of uh, USDA FDA qualifications called SQF, and uh, we're working toward that and should have that complete by December of next year. But a lot of that we're already a long way down the line. And so the things that used to take us weeks to catch up to an issue, yeah. we literally can identify an issue within minutes, look at the samples that we have retained, tell what happened and say, not a, not a health threat, quality issue, fixed, done. Um, and so we're, we're moving it as, as we joke, 
we're moving into the new millennium that started 20 years ago. <laughs> yeah. Well, from kitchen to garage to, to totally pro, you guys have got it going finally. <laughs> getting there. Yeah, we're getting there. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm so excited to see what's coming up. I, I, um, I'm blessed with the getting to hear the ideation of things like guacamole or popcorn or all this stuff. And then my mouth waters and then I've got to wait around till it, <laughs> <laughs> till yeah. it comes but guacamole's really coming a lot faster than you think Yay. yeah uh, but thank you guys so much for sharing the journey and and all of your time with us i'm so excited and, and like literally for sharing your journey with um fine collective uh, i know we worked with you and envision creative has worked with you for years and we've just been really blessed to be on this path and on this journey with you so thank you so much for that and for sharing your story with everyone else awesome. thank you for helping us out with those uh, new designs yeah back designs yeah great. <laughs> remember without you and sarah we couldn't do what we do ah. package to sell it in right awesome definitely i know i know merlin needs our help <laughs> <laughs> he needs need everyone's help <laughs> <laughs> we're all in the family together correct we definitely are yes, definitely are all right thank you so much thank you bye-bye stephanie Hey, so what did you think of MVP Business? If you liked it, please subscribe and tell all your friends. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. If you didn't like it, don't just leave. Let me know what I can do to improve, who you'd like to hear from, and what you'd like to learn. The mission of MVP Business is to share the strengths and struggles of leaders who have successfully grown their businesses while staying true to their mission and vision so that other entrepreneurs can follow, knowing that the path isn't easy, but the journey's worth it. If you believe in this mission, please help by living it and sharing it. In the meantime, enjoy the day and live with passion.